This week, Brother Kilman preaches a lesson titled, The Confluence of Three Revolutions. His son, born of a woman, made under the law. Everybody say, the fullness of time. I want to give you another passage of Scripture, Acts chapter 15, one of the biggest fights in the Bible. Uh, the whole issue of, uh, of whether or not to accept the Gentiles on their own terms in Acts chapter 15. Uh, and uh, we'll go, let's see. Hmm. Let's go to verse 13. They got up and, and basically what had happened is Barnabas and Paul has uh, witnessed what God is doing among the Gentiles. You had some Judaizers there, some people that didn't want to accept the Gentiles. I don't want to get too much bogged down in the historical context. But I just want to pick up James's uh, speech at the end of all this. And he says, uh, and after they had held their peace, uh, James answered saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written, After this I will return, and I will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set, um, I will set it up. That the residue of men might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Now, I, I would really get bogged down there if I wasn't careful and talk about the little idiom there. Calleth on the name of the Lord literally means to have the name of the Lord called over them in baptism, and that's how you enter into covenant. So if you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, you are not in covenant with God. I can't get bogged down there too much. I want to key in on verse 18, and this is what James is saying. I know we're in a tumultuous situation. I know this is a big argument, but he says, let me show you where you have to start with this point of understanding. It's been prophesied in the Old Testament. He says, known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Okay, so I want to deal with some stuff tonight and have you hang on to this scripture uh, in the back of your mind as an antidote for dealing with your time. How many know we're living in a wild time? All right, I don't know that I'm going to preach tonight. I'm just going to talk. Is that okay? All right, I got one head nod. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, the rest of you will just, it's like curry. I apologize. All right, so the, when I was uh, thinking about this, the confluence of three revolutions, there's really three different types of revolutions uh, going on in our culture. And we don't have to rehearse them too much. I'll talk about them a little bit tonight because uh, particularly there's one that you all feel most distinctly, uh, even much more so than uh, those that are downstairs. Uh, the first one is the cultural revolution. I'm very happy that we're reading The Marketing of Evil as a, a group. I love that book. I've studied that book. We've read it at IBC in a book club there. That was a wonderful. Uh, we're working through it, Sister Troxel. I did drop the term. I'm so sorry. It's, uh, I just let it go. <laughs> the cultural revolution. Uh, the second part of that is there's kind of a... Uh, for lack of a, a better word, it's, a, it's not a be the best way to say it, but a church revolution. And by that, I don't mean like a good thing. I mean there's a, and I'm not talking about out there in the denominal world, I'm talking about there is a revolution in the apostolic movement, in the body of Christ, to change uh, what we believe. And if you're not looking around, um, then you may not see it. But all you have to do is look around a little bit, and you'll understand that, wow, there are people that call themselves apostolic that are not like me. 
And so we're dealing with the cultural revolution. We're dealing with kind of this uh, church revolution, this anti-apostolic revolution within our ranks. And then there's the third revolution, which is us. Okay? And I love to quote Brother Mooney. He said, the revolution ought to be fun. So it should just be fun. And uh, I'm, I'm hopefully going to inject some things in your spirit tonight by the end of this. And, and hopefully you will embrace your moment, not uh, being intimidated, but see it as an opportunity given by God. Because known unto God are all of his works from the beginning of the world. And he did not somehow miss that Hollywood was going to be Hollywood. He did not somehow... Uh, misunderstand and put you in the wrong time period. Uh, one of the things that frustrates me the most is when people start talking about the glory days. If I could have just lived back a few years ago, maybe back in the 1900s, if I could have just been in the uh, time of the apostles. Look, God puts you in this moment on purpose and known to God are all of his deeds from the foundation of the world. And to, Okay, maybe I am going to preach. And, and, and the problem is, is if we curse our day instead of embrace it as it is the gift of God, which he has entrusted to us, then we'll miss our moment. Because, uh, and I know, it, we're, we're fighting in ways that a past generation did not fight in the culture. God's not mistaken about that, so we'll talk about that. So uh, what does that look like? Well, there's, all, there's three things. If you're taking notes, I see one person with a pen you're taking notes, let me give you three things that I think we're uh, in a revolution for, what we're fighting for. The first is uh, redefinition. There's an attitude of redefinition, a kind of a spirit. Don't think like a, not necessarily, although there is a spirit behind it, but think more like a, in the human spirit. There's an attitude in people about redefinition. The second thing is what uh, I'm going to call, what others have called, uh, democratization. How many of you love democracy? Oh, I see some slide hands. Good. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm going to talk about an attitude and a spirit of democratization. And then finally, elitism. Okay, honey, it's going to be good or bad. You just have to keep me in line. Right? So if you ask people today, um, what's going on in politics? If you talk to the average politician, this is kind of where we're headed in American culture. That what, what are you going to do with religion? What are you going to do about these religious people? And the prevailing attitude uh, to, for most of them seems to be to think that, well, religion is mostly just divis divisive and destructive. It's mostly, if we could just get those Christian people to just shut up and take a back seat, we could kind of go along and get along and everybody would be okay. That is the prevailing attitude in politics and in the culture uh, at large, but especially in politics. And what we have to understand is, and you know this if you've read anything, if you've been paying attention halfway through history, you would understand that religion isn't the biggest source of conflict. It's actually nationalism. It's actually, actually ideas like socialism and communism. I'm trying to behave. And, and those types of things, we got a guy who just, uh, did you graduate? You graduated, right? Yes, in the history minor. Okay, so there's my history minor. Here's my witness. If you look through history, has socialism ever worked in history? Yeah, but they will sell it in institutions every day. People are saying, look, if we could just get you Christians to shut up and take a back seat. Now, I'm going to try to be nice. The problem is, is the re religion is what built the ideas of democracy. That every, okay, 
that everybody is personally accountable for their own actions and deeds. Why? Because it takes biblical anthropology seriously. That power in the hands of a few is a bad thing because everybody seeks their own. And what you need is a system of checks and balances. So when they framed our country, they built it ex- exactly after the idea of, of the judges and you had the kings and, uh, and you had the prophets and you had kind of this inner working of accountability from which they modeled American government. But that's not what I come to talk about tonight. All I'm talking about tonight is kind of the ideas that's festering. When you look at history, it's not religion that's brought these great atrocities. It's actually the ideas that are under the uh, underpinnings of secularism and atheism and a godless culture. And I know I've mentioned it here before. Forgive me for mentioning again. But there's a great little book out right now called uh, The Black Book on Communism. And the author, who is a French uh, uh, author, was translated into English, talks about how many people were killed under communism. And uh, he says, if you understand that that's the case, okay, there there have been more people uh, killed under communism like that's currently going on in China who were financially in bed with as Americans. This is not political. If you don't get this, uh, I don't know what to say. Okay, this is about what's going on in the culture. Right, does touch politics, but it's about understanding what we're fighting. Okay, uh, but there have been how many of you think Hitler was a bad guy? How many of you think, yeah, the Nuremberg trials where he was try, uh, where they try war criminals, Nazi war criminals? That's pretty good, right? Okay, so what the what the author of this book shows is he says, what are you going to do? That's hypocritical. It's hypocritical to say that if we find a Nazi war criminal, we're going to prosecute them and put them on trial and make them accountable for their deeds and not deal with communism, who's killed vastly more than, uh, than Hitler's Nazi Germany could ever dream. Okay, and I won't do the numbers. I'll let you look at that book yourself. All I'm saying is, is when you start in our, in our culture today, we're fighting things where they're redefining good, what's good. They're redefining government and religion and values, and that all runs at us. And especially this group and, and those that are younger than you, those that you're going to maybe youth pastor, or when your kids, uh, which is going to be very quickly, more than you think. My son's almost 14. Keeps reminding me that in one more year, he's going to be a high schooler. I don't know how that happened. But what I'm saying is you're going to be dealing with this uh, quicker than you think. And the, the redefinition, the battle for the redefinitions is happening uh, in terms of technology and institutions. And I, how many of you are in college or going to college or, uh, or just finished with college? I know that's a lot of you in here. Okay, and some of you are into careers already, and that's okay. But here's what I want you to catch. That the enemy is using certain platforms in the culture and our mind is being shaped and assaulted every day to accept things. Right, and you've already read, how many of you read The Marketing of Evil, the first chapter? Who is sell, isn't, isn't that right? Who is selling uh, gay rights? Or Yeah, that's right. Okay, all you have to do is read that first chapter and you're like, oh my Lord, I've been lied to so much. When I, uh, we read it in IBC, the students that read the chapter were mad. They walked in furious. I'm like, good. There's a little fire in your belly. I'm happy to, that you're, you realize that you're being lied to in the culture every day and that someone is trying to shape your mind. One of the most shocking things that's happening right now, and you do it yourself, is uh, when, when people start understanding that Brother, Brother Mooney's done a poll every year at IBC's, asked the same question. 
uh, sets of questions. He does it kind of with a, a very tactful way, but and he asks it very carefully to not violate any uh, trust. But he asks the students, how many of you um, uh, have heard in your youth group that homosexuality is okay? And the vast number of students, the polls, have just went off the charts. Why? Because they're being marketed to, right? Every day. They're being shaped by things in the culture every day. And there's conditioning that's happening by the enemy. What, what do you mean, Brother Kilman? Well, like socialism is good. Okay, I'll try, I'm going to try to be tactful. This is, maybe this is a repeat of last time. I still can't get it out of my spirit. But I, I, I'm telling you, when you start looking at the ideas of socialism and what our country under fascism and all the other types of isms that we fought against as a culture, or as a country rather, and to see that it's being promoted by people in the culture every day, right? it should astonish us. Okay, but instead, uh, we've already been conditioned to accept it. That's why Brother Mooney said, just on the issue of homosexuality, he says that now they think that uh, students have walked up and said, I'm pretty sure that my youth pastor was pro-homosexual. Especially if he's up there singing with a, with a belt tied and a sash and a bow. I wish I was making that up. You got to help me. Okay, all I'm saying is, is we can't let what's out in the culture came in. Okay, come in and shape what we think is okay. Right, so we have the culture. I'll try to behave. Right, uh, there is a Latin phrase called "in loco parentas." Right, now what does that Latin phrase mean? If you go into colleges all across America, you will find this particular Latin phrase somewhere in stone in many campuses. "In loco parentas." What did that mean? It's saying I am in the location of the parent. It means they have trusted me with their children to make them better people and I will work in concert with them to produce the type of person they would be proud of. That is no longer the case in America. Okay, it's shifted. Okay, look, because institutions are being used to shape the minds of people. I, I wish Kate uh, Anderson was here. She told me, she brought me a, a, a group from, uh, a, a book from a University of Indianapolis called A Kaleidoscope of Gender. And here you have a dry campus, Methodist-based, that's selling homosexuality. Or Macy, you was in a class, and I think an instructor dropped four F-bombs in the first lesson, if I remember right. Okay, well, there you go. Saying, you know, my job is to deprogram what your parents have programmed in you. Right, now, they're getting more brazen. Why? Because way, way back, before Woodrow Wilson was even our, our, a president, our, our president of the United States, he was president of a college, and this is what he said in one particular speech. I have often said that it is the use of a university, or the use of a university, is to make young gentlemen as unlike their fathers as possible. Now, what does that mean? It means that we're in a battle for definitions to redefine what's good and what's right. Okay. Right? And you know, you know, you're going to, some of you have already walked into it. Others of you are walking into it right now. And you had better understand some things. When you get on any college campus today, you are walking into a battleground and they will not like you. Throw it away. Okay? You might get one or two people. I'm not saying they won't try to be friendly. But I'm going to tell you, it's like Robert Bork said. He said it, uh, I was listening to a broadcast, and he said, uh, it's amazing that the Supreme Court justices in America have always stepped left. 
He said, no one has ever stepped into that office that stepped right. And the reason he said that is because the only people that interact with Supreme Court justices are those that report on what they say, the media, and those that read what they say, institutions, colleges, colleges of law. And they only praise them if they move left. So he said, I don't know of a single case in our American history in the last hundred years where somebody has not stepped left. Now, I'm going to tell you what you need to succeed on college campuses today. You better find you a good church and you better be grounded someplace where somebody's going to affirm you for standing for what's right. If you walk in there, you have to understand that you're walking into a foreign culture. You will never be a part of that. And if you try to be, you'll be assimilated <laughs> at some level. Now, I know I'm being strong. Uh, Jay Budaszewski, we, we read a book a while back, maybe a few years ago now, where, uh, called How to Stay Christian in College. And this, he lays out this incredible, just in the introduction, this incredible kind of two-pronged attack that happens uh, to kids on college campuses. He said, this is what happens. They appeal to your flesh and your pride. He said, they, they, they say, literally on the college campus, um, you don't have to raise your hand, but I'm gonna, I'll, I'll give you one candid example from what he said in that book. He said, on one particular campus, they were doing interviews, and there are girls that have what they call open dorm night, where literally their door is open to anyone. I know we have a, someone back there, so I'll behave. Someone that uh, will be open to anyone, any guy that wants to come in, and you let your imagination go wild. And they stand in line. Okay, he talked about the party schools. He talked about one particular school that had so much competition and so much uh, 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 in terms of locating the top slots because that's who was going to be picked for certain programs. That The, the dean of, uh, of academics was bragging on the percentage of students that dropped out due to mental breakdown. And they're, and they're praising things like pride and step on people to get ahead. Crush people with ambition. <laughs> Look, I'm going to tell you, all of that anti-Christian nonsense, if we're not careful, will bleed into us. And not just into us, but into the church where there are preachers that will stand in a pulpit and say, it's okay for you to walk away from everything you know about goodness and godliness and what the Lord wants you to be. It's okay to be ambitious. It's okay to use the abuse of power to get ahead by any means necessary to get done what you want to get done. No ethics and business matter. Why? Because God said, I want you to be salt and light. I want you to be different than the fallenness that's out there in the world. So that, that seeps in and tries to make its way into the church. So and we're in a battle for, uh, for definitions and they're trying to redefine uh, the second part of that battle was uh, what uh, the idea of democratization. Now, what does that mean, democratization? It means where there's no location of power. Everything's up for a vote. <laughs> God is not up for a vote. The Bible's not up for a vote, right? And that's where we stand. And it's not that we're being mean-spirited. It's the only way to bring blessing to people's life. We've rehearsed all the illustrations in here. I'll resist uh, the urge to uh, uh, talk about them all. But let me give you some, just around the ideas of technology. Okay, uh, technology has been democratized. Uh, it used to be that uh, only the news people, the newscasters, the, uh, the, the papers, they reported the news. Now with the advent of the Internet, there's kind of been a revolution, a technological revolution, and, and uh, the co communication world has been democratized. 
Okay, and that's been good to some degree, right? It's allowed people to have a voice that have been tried to uh, cut out. Right? People have tried to be isolated, but it's also done something uh, terrible. There's a great little uh, uh, talk that you can get from Hillsdale College. Uh, a guy wrote a, or did a little talk on a discussion. He called it the death of civil discourse in America. And this is what he said about technology. He said, technology is interesting uh, because it does allow for people to speak. He said, but it slants, the, uh, it slants the agenda towards those that have nothing in the game to lose. So, for instance, he said that there have been large political figures that have been taken down by relatively small and notoriety people that no one's ever known before. There have been people that have been taken on uh, that are large people in terms of reputation, uh, position, whatever, and they've been kind of taken down by a little guy, right? And that seems good until you understand things like this. Uh, that there can be someone who's trying to hold a discussion and has a reputation to defend. And then you've got a guy in a basement with his computer that has no reputation and no ethics. So he can make up lies Okay, so here's the problem with technology. You don't know if the article that you're reading represents a degree of some types of aptitude, like maybe 12 years of research. That's stacked up right side uh, beside someone who's just making arbitrary or authoritative commands. Okay, I'm trying to behave. Right, so here's what happens. Somebody can say, well, I, I think this idea would work. And what you don't know is, what, what, what does this build? What does this do? Has your ideas been tested? And you can take a pastor that's built a congregation like Calvary Tabernacle. Okay, or ran it, or, you know, I guess I should say, on the backs of other pastors. But someone that's led effectively for a year. And all of a sudden, they're, they're preaching on a Sunday night. Brother Mooney's preaching on a Sunday night because of the idea of democratization can be dismissed because of some joker writing a little blog that's never built a church, doesn't know how to pray anybody out of sin. Okay, I'm trying to be nice. But look, I understand you got all those good ideas. Then you show me in your family and in your track record that you're some type of expert. You don't need to worry about what some people say to you. I'm trying to, look, I don't want to mean to come across mean-spirited. But you know what happens on, on technology today? You make one conservative statement. You make one biblical stand. And all of a sudden, you got 50,000 people coming out of the woodwork attacking you for your position. And if you're not careful, you're going to take 50,000 little nothings, people that haven't built anything or done anything, can't even leave a pure life themselves and you're somehow going to be intimidated to the back seat. But God is saying, don't be intimidated by the revolution out there. I've caused you to bring a revolution. You're my agents of change in the world. And I'm trying to, this is in me. I'm telling you, you're getting kind of what's in me. Right? So uh, what, what are you saying? Well, you have to understand that there are small people and that, that don't care and there's no filters. You can post a blog. See, an editor would look at a person and say, that's a lie. You cannot print that. Okay? Now, it used to be what an editor did. It's called editorial responsibility. And you could sue an editor for publishing lies. But now today, you have uh, all across America, you have people uh, like that have ta been taking shots. Lies have been posted about them. And they called these digital uh, these magazines, newspapers, that have these digital magazines. And they say, hey, what about this? This is a lie. This is demonstrably a lie. And here's the facts why. We, you need to retract this. And you need to make an apology. And, and they say, oh, we don't do that anymore. We just hire people to uh, post articles. We don't have any responsibility over the uh, truthfulness of their claims. 
Okay, so that's kind of this cultural democratization. Where, okay, where people, okay, I'll, I'll give you another one. You see what technology does is uh, technology is a way for the enemy to intimidate you into silence. And if you don't walk into today with a little discerning in terms of voice, anyone can write a blog. And you don't know their personal history. Okay, so uh, I think maybe you should write a blog. And understand that I don't, and, and you're going to get attacked. It's okay. I got a nasty little email the other day uh, from a guy, and I, I've tried to work with that guy a long time, and he's, he's just not open. And I was in conversation with another person. I thought it was a private conversation uh, in, in terms of lamenting over friends that have walked away, Brother Lopez, uh, from the truth and people that we love and are concerned about and praying for. And I'm praying for this guy. I'm praying for his, uh, uh, his uh, family. I'm praying that he uh, gets his head together, but he's been corrupted by the institutions. And he's been, not only the institutions, the cultural side has got to him, but even the cultural attack against the church within the church has got a hold of him. And he's trying to lead a different way. And uh, I said to him at one point, and I love him. I said to him, he said, well, I th I've been in the UPC all my life. I think I have a right to say something. I said, you do. You absolutely do from a pew. But you cannot hold the beliefs that you hold and hold the license within the United Pentecostal Church. That was one of the last conversations we ever had. I'm being plain tonight. Are you guys okay? All right, so all I'm saying is when you, when you get into this kind of battle, you realize, man, that there's ideas about change that are coming and, and, and this democratization, and I don't have to listen. Uh, I don't have to listen to that. Why? Because I got, I got 13 other preachers that can tell me something else, and you sure do, but it's, at the end of the day, it's not what any, look, known to God are all of his deeds from the foundation of the world, and God is not going to change just because some preacher gets up and starts preaching something different. God's not going to change what blesses the world and builds a strong family and blesses society. He's not going to change just because the culture goes crazy. Right? Yeah, thank you, Jesus. That's right. There's consistency in the Lord's character because he wants to bring blessing. The problem is, is you have to identify those voices. And let, let me teach you a little bit about discernment. When you start posting some things, all of a sudden you start getting all these little attacks. All you have to do is start looking at the people that are attacking you. What is their lifestyle? What have they demonstrated? And it's a, it's a, a small, a bad thing when small men uh, cast great shadows in our culture. We're living in a, in a tough time. I, I, was ta I was in uh, uh, Louisiana. I'm almost done. I know you're shocked, Brother Lopez. I was in Louisiana. I was talking uh, uh, to a couple of guys there. Brother Bowie, a great man of God. He's uh, uh, actually his pastor. His dad pastored rather in southern Indiana. He's preached everywhere. Incredible man. I love talking to him. His rich understanding. Uh, he has more degrees than uh, a thermometer. And, and he's a good preacher, and he hasn't embraced liberalism, and he's a strong guy on top of all that, which is in incredible, and, I'm, and that's amazing. He's pastored. He's done all sorts of wonderful things. And we were talking about uh, them going, uh, and an, another gentleman in the church who's done some traveling, he's not a preacher necessarily. He helped with the youth when he was young and uh, just kind of served the Lord Brother Black. And I was preaching for Brother Tucker. We got in a conversation. They were talking about both of them have traveled extensively, Brother Bowie for missionary reasons and Brother Black because of his, uh, uh, the field of study or work rather that he was in. So he goes to countries and helps them uh, develop like uh, wells and oil and all sorts of other things to mine uh, minerals and resources. And they were talking about going over and finding these, um, these little shanties on the side of rivers and the, the abject poverty within which these people live. 
And, and here's what uh, they said. They were making their mark. And Brother Bowie said, you know what's fascinating? He says, if you, I know we feel sorry for them at some level. He said, we should. We should be hopeful and try to help them. He said, but at the same time, he said, I was standing on this bridge overlooking a river, and all of these shanties were lined up, just little, from whatever they could find to build these little places. And every one of them had an antenna on the roof. They didn't have a house but they had television. They had, they had been piped into it. And, and we were reflecting on that, and Brother Black said, well, you know why that is. He said, there are corporations that know that if the people start realizing how much money they're making on their land, and they're cutting them out of the financial loop, that if they realize what was going on, how much they were being manipulated, you know, their own property, their own land, they would rise up in force. So one way to keep them from rebelling one way to squash a revolution is to give them so much technology that they just stay pacified. I'm going to tell you, that's the cultural revolution. That's the culture that's coming against us. To just keep you silent enough. And Huxley was right when he said, I don't fear, I don't fear control. I fear becoming so much, having so much entertainment that we never pick up a book. And I talked about that last time. So you can't let the enemy lull you to sleep with uh, entertainment. Okay, because that's just one more way to control you. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I know people that are too busy uh, watching television to go vote. <laughs> I'm telling you, I don't understand that. Uh, I I'm leaning on my history major reminder back there. And people that have bled and died for the ability for us to live free. And we're selling our freedom every day. We don't even care that they're stripping our freedom away with socialism every day. We don't care. We're too busy watching TV. Just give me another movie. Give me something else to entertain. Nobody's up in arms. Where's the revolution? You know, and that's the political side. But what about those that have died, that have built this apostolic church? What about those that have, I'm telling you, the same spirit out there at work in the culture is the same spirit that's working in the church. You think there's two devils? No, it's the same spirit out there working in here. And people that have bled and died to build good churches. And then we have people wanting to rise up and take them away. And if we can just get enough entertainment church, we're okay. Right now, I don't want to be a part of that. That's not us. I know that's not you or you wouldn't be here. All I'm saying is that's what's going on in the world. And look, here's the problem. I, I know uh, you can think, well, democracy's good. Let me give you a little quote, one more. Uh, Daniel Larisson said this. He, he, he wrote The Dangers of Democratization, a great little article I was looking today. And he's not a, some left-wing radical uh, either. He, it's, it's on the uh, website, The American Conservative. And he talks about democracy, its approach at working in Gaza and other Middle Eastern countries and this kind of revolution that we've had around the world uh, in, with Islam and uh, people being, and we think, well, democracy works. Democracy doesn't work if it doesn't have moorings. Okay, what, what do you mean by that? He said, look, he says, anything being done in the name of freedom or the will of the people is justified today. He said, the problem with that is when it's combined with longstanding grievances, you, it uh, tends to let people empower those to, uh, with, that are the most extreme and radical. Okay, like democracy in America is a good thing. No, democracy in America is not a good thing unless it's moored by the Bible. We've already talked about it in here. The pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness can be pure hedonism unless it's tied to love your neighbor. So, with, okay, look, I understand. Uh, I, I, everybody gets a voice. You, there's only one voice. 
And, and whenever you stand up and you're going to decide how to guide your life, you have to understand the only way to bring real blessing into the world is to say, I understand the revolution outside and that spirit of, of re- redefinition and then the idea that maybe we can just get enough democracy and get enough votes and we can get a preacher in to preach what we want. And you sure can. What will happen is you'll just start watching that thing disintegrate. Why? Because uh, sin blesses the people. Is that what the Bible says? Mm-mm. Sin is a reproach to any people, right? But it's righteousness that blesses us. Okay, let me see if I can wrap this up and try to tie all this up. I hope you're getting a piece of what I'm trying to say tonight. Here's what we're dealing with in the end. Is a, what I'm going to call an enculturated church. Uh, Brother Mooney wrote a great little article. If you haven't read it, I think you should. It's called, uh, Why Are the Good Kids Angry? And the good kids are angry today, he said, because people are, are blessing bad kids. Or they're just going along silently, letting them... Okay, can I be pointed? As pointed as I want to be? They already are, Brother Kilman. <laughs> they're going ahead and letting them sing anyway. Letting them preach anyway. Letting them lead anyway. And because there is no... Uh, correction the good kids are saying then why should i pay the price and i'm telling you that's where we're at i know that we're dealing you you wonderful young adults here are working hard at being good christians and you're trying to go through college and and remain true to your christian beliefs and it's assaulted every day in every class they're trying to rip this book out of your hand with lies and manipulation and that's why I'm glad you're in this group. Some of you come talk to me and come talk to Brother Lopez and other leadership. I appreciate it very much. But what, what does it mean? I, I don't think, here's, here's some things I don't think we can do. I don't think you should curse the day. That's a trap. I, I hope you don't feel like I'm on a rant tonight. That's not what I'm on tonight. I, I don't think you should give up either and somehow just become enculturated, uh, an enculturated church. We'll just go along and and try to be like them so we can attract them. The born-again marketing, you'll never reach the world through branding. Now, we're working, where's Sister Madison at? She, where are you? Oh, there she is, yes. Thank you for helping us. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about the born-again kind of marketing model where we'll never, uh, we'll never thin people. We're into attraction. That's never going to work. If our lives are marked by the same type of manipulation out in the culture, how can we ever invite them to something better called uh, true change in the Lord? But another response, and here's what I think. I don't think that's anybody in here. I don't think you could be at Calvary very long with our pastors preaching and survive with that kind of mentality. (laughs) Thank God. Can I get amen? But I think these last two might be temptations. Just bunker down kind of group our, our forces together and kind of isolate ourselves from the world. And uh, you can play, Kevin. Thank you. I, I, it's intimidated. Intimidated to walk out because you know the culture's crazy and we're intimidated to walk out of here. Don't be intimidated of the culture. And sometimes you're intimidated to have conversation with friends who say they're apostolic. I know. I know some of your lives. I know some of the people that you are friends with. And some of you are like my family members that have walked away from the church. And I know the tight positions that you're put in. That's okay. 
This is what you need to do. Don't be intimidated. Love and speak in love anyway. Then the last one, the biggest temptation, I think, is to withdraw. An attitude of disengagement. Just to give up. We're going to do our own thing. We're going to, I'm just, I don't want to go, I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of going in and having the same conversations. Has anybody ever felt like, I'm just tired of it now. I I walk in, and look, you're going to have to walk in, Brother Lopez, to meetings and shake their hands anyway. Smile, and you're going to be there to be the blessing of the Lord. And even if people are going crazy, God has put you in the middle of that so that you can be His force. He's put you in the culture on purpose. Known are the way the, the deeds of the Lord and know why. Because He placed you in this time on purpose. I, I don't have time to talk about it all tonight, but there's a great little passage, a couple places in Hebrews, where the Bible says, By him he made the worlds, and by him dia in the Greek is literally through him, by him, with him in view. He made the worlds. But it's not cosmos, it's aeon, it's ages. God saw this age. James was saying, look, God God knew we were going to reach this conflict. And what we have to do is embrace uh, what God wants us to be. And here's how you overcome with all this cultural nonsense. Embrace the time that God has given us in His providence that He has trusted to us. There are more people alive today than all the other centuries of the world combined. If you take the biblical timeline of the earth's history seriously, then there are more people alive today than all of the world's history up to this point. And what are you you saying, Brother Kilman? I'm saying that God's provision will meet the times because by Him, through Him, through Christ, He made the ages. He made this age. And He made His provision to meet this time. And I'll prove it to you. There's more concentrated wealth. You've heard Brother Mooney say it many times. But there's more concentrated wealth uh, today than there ever has been in history. Why? Because there's more people to reach than ever in history. The greatest communication that's ever existed in the world exists right now. I was Skyping with my niece Lauren in Austria for free. I'm telling you, God has given us the tools. And that's the easiest travel ever. If you want to travel somewhere, please don't go to South Carolina this summer. For the same price right now because of the way that the dollar is stacking up against the euro, you can go to some place like France for the same thing almost. Yes, I know, baby. I got the nod. Just got myself in trouble. I'll be taking up an offering after this. So what are you saying? I'm saying that God has positionally given us things, and that's beyond that, because the touch of His Spirit has always been here, right? But you have an inherited time. I'm often ashamed and intimidated a little bit by wondering what the Apostle Paul would do with the tools that I have, the opportunities that I have. All I'm saying is don't be beleaguered. God has given us everything we need to meet this time. And if you know, yes, I'm not going to be like the culture and I'm not going to embrace this changing of the apostolic movement. And then there's us, God's answer, the real revolution that's shaking the world. The only thing that's really gravitating anything around it right now is this wonderful Pentecostal message that's sweeping South America. But you listen to me, not only South America. I'm going to be pointed tonight. I don't know if this should be broadcast, Kevin, but I'm going to be pointed anyway. Kilman, not Calvary Tabernacle. K-I-L-L-M-O-N. 
There are people that are walking away from the messages and their message. And there are other ministries and churches being blessed by people who've looked up and say, I loved you. I've walked with you a long time, but you're not preaching what I know is in this good book. And I'm going to go find me a church that's aligning itself. Look, the more this denominal world embraces the culture and becomes isolated away from the will and work of God, and the more that most people, some people rather, that call themselves apostolic do it, that's going to take a church that's making a good stand and say, guess what? The Lord's going to lift us up. And at some point, I can't be an ethical human being. If I would tell my wife and son, we need to get out of this church, then I have to tell somebody I love, you need to get out of that church. If they're walking away from Acts 2.38, run, don't walk out of that church. And what, what's going to happen? I, I tell you, I, I feel good things in my spirit. Because in the times of incredible upheaval, it's where quiet faithfulness wins. I, I know I've already said it here. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to shut down. Lord, help me. The book of Ruth, where they're just quiet, faithful living. You do not, your job is not to give your life impact. Your job is to trust that in just your quiet faithfulness every day, God will give your life impact. And if you had asked Ruth and Boaz, look, they're in the time of Judges. Judges is a horrible history. It's one of the worst time in Israel's history. And they're close to the end of the book. And when all of that chaos is going on around them, you have this little faithful couple being faithful to each other, faithful to their mother-in-law, just being ethical, just doing what's right. And they could never have positioned themselves in a more powerful place. Because through their lineage comes, of course, King David and then the Messiah, Jesus himself. And you never know what God is doing in your quiet faithfulness in everyday life when there's upheaval all around you. I know I said I'm quitting. I'm four, let me give you four things. You got time for that? Four things. Number one, trust that God knows how to position your life for the greatest impact. How do I do that? Trust is demonstrated. Trust without works is not trust. The way you do that is you surrender ambition and you surrender intimidation. I don't have time to deal with that a lot. But if your idea is, I want to pastor a great church and the only way I can be successful is by doing X, Y, or Z, put in anything you want. I'm telling you, Ruth and Boaz never did sit in a palace, but their lineage did. You, you just let go of your ambitions and embrace what God wants you to be. Quit frustrating the will and work of God in your life. The second thing is surrender intimidation. Don't be intimidated by the culture. Don't bunker down. The second thing, don't try to manage God. <laughs> that wonderful saying is this. If you, want to laugh, if you want God to laugh, just tell Him your plans. Maybe add to that. It's sacrilegious to bring our plans to God. And I, I'm going to tell you, I'm using these words intentionally. It's more sacrilegious for us to try to command Him. Don't command God. He knows the end from the beginning. You're not going to take him a plan B that impresses him. He knows how to get your life in the best place. Two more. Third, the seeming circumstantial and incidental is often pivotal and providential. Sometimes the most incidental things in our life can absolutely be pivotal and providential in the will and the work of God. Oh, I have to quit. Fourth, opportunity will find the faithful. Stand with me tonight. 
a volunteer fire department. They decided to go fight a raging for a, a grass fire out here east of Indianapolis. Anybody remember this story? Where there was a, they decided to go out and fight the fire, right? How many of you want to go out? You want to go out and handle the issues? How many of you want to do that? I want God to use me. We'll use my life. They decided to go out and fight the forest fire, or forest fire, grass fire, Brother Lopez. And uh, they, the, <laughs> the engine had been sitting so long that the brake fluid had dried up in the lines. So they got about three or four good stops, and that's it. And as they go up to fight the fire, they rolled right out into the middle of it. And what happened was, is they thought, we're in the middle of the fire, we might as well fight it. And they ended up putting out the fire and was held as uh, heroes in the local papers. And, and I remember uh, Brother Mooney telling us that story when I was in Bible college. And he said, most of my life has been just me trying to do something good for the Lord and be faithful. And the Lord rolled me out in the middle of something. Here's where I'm saying, I know. He's like, how, how are we ever going to change this culture? How are we ever going to deal with the threats in our movement, Brother Kilman? Look, if you'll just quietly serve and be faithful, God will roll you out into the middle of some moment. You will never be able to organize it yourself or make it happen. But listen, just serve and be faithful. And I promise you, the Lord will roll you into the middle of something that he wants done. I've talked to students at IBC. Forgive me for sharing a couple of historical testimonies. He said, I, I was the only one in my youth group that wanted to do something for God. One young person told me. So I didn't understand why I didn't fit in. Why? Because they were the only one in their youth group interested in being a part of what God was doing. And you may find yourself there. That's okay. You just trust that if I'm faithful, opportunity will find the faithful people. Talk to a, man, a young man that was graduating this year. He's incredible. He's going to do great things for God. I wish I could be more candid. I've uh, never been more proud or, uh, of any other graduate. I, I, he's an incredible young man. He said, Brother Kilman, when I got to IBC, I knew what being a Pentecostal was, but I didn't have a clue what being an apostolic was. But I'm going to tell you what can happen. In four years, he gave himself to study, and he's walking out of there, and he's taking, I wish I could tell you, but I would not want to do damage to the church that it's being worked, and the, they got a pastor in that's doing really well now. So I don't want to do any damage. You just have to take it that way. But God is going to use this young man. And he said, why? Because he came with the hunger to say, I don't care what's going on in my movement or in the culture. I want to embrace what God wants me to be. So stay encouraged. Stay encouraged. Disgruntlement only lasts so long. So trying to, I mean, you got these people that are, well, we're not like them. They've been so legalistic until you get the second generation and they don't know anything about so-called legalism. So then you have to find something to unite them. That's why churches usually fizzle out. But you, you have a message. You have a message. It's not like the cultural message. It doesn't satisfy the soul. You have something to offer people, right? If you simply do not become intimidated, God trusted you at this moment. I know I got my uh, uh, sweet family member here, Abby, who's going over to a college campus. Uh, God has trusted her to walk onto a campus, knowing every battle that she's going to face and every battle that you face on your job or on your campus or on your job, work, whatever God has placed you at. And he's not surprised by all the hell that's there. He puts you there on purpose. 
What do you, how do I, how do I, look, there are going to be times under pressure. Look, I'm trying to quit. There are going to be times under pressure where you're going to think, maybe I could just withdraw or maybe I could check out or I could go do something else. And if I know there are some of you that are called to ministry, there'll be times, Brother Lopez, where they're at the end of themselves. You're wondering where the direction's going to come from and where the provision's going to come from. And you're sure God left, you lost your address somewhere and doesn't even know where you are. And what you're going to have to do is trust that known known to God are all of his deeds from the foundation of the world. Would you close your eyes and bow your head with me? No, 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 the deeds of the Lord. Look, he, he's invested. He dropped you in this city. He dropped you in this time on purpose. His provision is here. We're living in incredible, complex times, but he dropped you in here on purpose. Don't be beleaguered. Don't be intimidated. Don't allow the enemy to intimidate you into silence by any voice. Lord, I ask you to touch, Lord, each person here, Lord, even the family members and friends. Try to tempt us away from what we know we're called to be and do, Lord. Help us to remain faithful, knowing that we will reap in due season. We'll see the performance of your plan and your purpose. God, we'll see what you want to do in our life and in our ministry. God, in what we've been called to do as a church, we know will come to fruition if we don't faint. If we just don't faint and give up under all the pressure that's coming against us. Help us to see the gift of this moment that you've entrusted us with. so much upheaval Lord help us to see the gift of this moment the only solid ground that's going to be left visible Lord is your church and your people who can stand under pressure and turmoil we give you honor for that give you glory